Well, a huge welcome to Encounter Church tonight. A huge thanks to our worship team. You're doing a great job as always. Thanks, guys. And uh, a big welcome if you're new here tonight. It's so great to be with you. My name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, it's my privilege to be able to bring you the message tonight. And what a message. We are starting a fresh new spring series called Relationship Goals. Relationship Goals. And there's one key question behind this series, and it's so simple, but it's so important. What does God actually want for my relationships? What does God actually want for my relationships? Wouldn't that be nice to know? Because we know that we go and we do our own thing. So what is it that we are meant to be doing that the Bible teaches us is wise, helpful, and following in the way of Jesus? What are the relationship goals that we should be aiming for in God's eyes? Now, we're going to go across a bunch of awesome, fun topics. We're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to see a lot more videos like you've already seen tonight with our encounter people just sharing about their different relationships. But I get to start this week by talking about the most important relationship of all, and that's your relationship with God. And I'm, I'm so excited to do that. So this week, I've just called this message Actual Goals. Actual Goals. Like your relationship with God will be actual goals by the end of this series, okay? Now, I want you to know before we get started that at some point during this series, you will probably, every one of you in this room, every one of you on the podcast, at some point you will probably feel offended, embarrassed, or angry, okay? Offended, embarrassed, or angry. And here's the thing. If you're feeling that way, A, come and talk to me or flick me a message or whatever because I'd love to chat to you about what you're feeling and why because I'm not trying to offend anyone on purpose. But what I think will happen is as we talk about relationships, and particularly biblical relationships, which challenges our own perspectives, our own thinking, that the Spirit of God will be talking to you, will be speaking to you in in the silence of your heart, in your mind, convicting you maybe of some bad decisions you have made or some of the thinking you've got that maybe isn't what God has for you. So don't be worried about that. What I would say is if you feel any of those ways, just listen. Have the courage to listen, not even to me, but to that still small voice in your heart, in your spirit, in your mind, speaking to you. Because God is longing to speak to you, and God will speak to you if you let him. Now, I want to speak to you tonight as well, but I thought I'd start with my speaking by sharing a bad relationship story. Because how many people know that it's way better hearing about other people's bad relationship stories than sharing your own, right? We've all got bad relationship stories in one way or another. Um... I don't have a whole heap of bad relationship stories. And here's the reason why. Not because I was a Casanova as a young guy, but because I was incompetent as a young guy. I was terrified to ask anyone out on a date. Um, And so I never even found out if I was bad boyfriend material, really. Poor Jenny had to sift through all of that uh, when we got serious in my early 20s. And so... Prior to that, I was just kind of too terrified, too pathetic to ask anybody out. It was only just before I dated Jen that I really went on any dates, seriously, and really only went on one. And it wasn't even a date date, it was a pre-date. Who's been on a pre-date before, you know, the date before the date, the date where you're trying to work out, is this somebody that I actually want to properly date? Is this somebody, you know, I'm relationally compatible? You probably know if you're attracted to them, but you don't know whether maybe you're compatible as people. And so I went on a pre-date, and because I went on it with another Christian young girl, we're both young adults, we're both Christians, we're both trying to work out, you know, what is the right thing, what is it that God wants us to do, you know, all the things we're talking about over this series. 
So I was keen on her for a few months and I invited her out to lunch and she said yes and it was all very clear what it was about. So it was really cool. You know, everything's going the right direction. So I get to the lunch venue and I sit down. I'm a couple of minutes early because, you know, I'm excited and nervous, you know, hands are sweaty, mum's spaghetti, all the rest. And um, I wait there. It's 12 o'clock. I'm like, oh, that's all right. You know, a couple of minutes late, whatever. I won't order. I won't grab a drink. I'll just wait. Then it gets to 10 past, 20 past. Half past. And I'm thinking, what do I do? You gotta remember this is mobile phones are around. This is 2003, I think. Mobile phones are around, but texting is like this crazy thing that only the the wild kids on the fringe do. You know, texting is not normal. Not everybody has a mobile phone. There's still groups of people that are too hipster to have a mobile phone at that stage. How'd that work out for them? Uh, how's their landline going right now? I'm not sure. Anyway, we get to 12.30. I don't want to ring her at home. I don't want to ring her home number. I don't want to be that guy. I'm not even a boyfriend yet or anything like that. Finally, at 12.40, in she comes. I was like, oh, thank God. But I'm already nervous as anything. And she's kind of flustered and kind of a bit frustrated, but she's there. And, and she slips in opposite me on the booth. And I was like, oh, hey. She's like, oh, I'm so sorry I'm late. I was, like, I was in a car accident. And everything changes when you say something like that. When you say you're in a car accident, suddenly you go from frustration or nerves or embarrassment to empathy. You're like, oh, my goodness. Are you okay? She's like, yeah, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. The car? Yeah, the car's fine too. It's, you know, it's pretty banged up, but I was able to drive it here. It's, it's fine. I was like, oh, wow. Did you, you know, what about the other car? And she said, oh, no, there was no other car. It's like, oh, okay. She said, yeah, uh, what happened was I was in the car park. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so familiar. I could predict this, yeah. Went to slip it in reverse. Of course you did. Slipped it in accelerate by accident. Okay. Uh, you're, so you put it in drive instead of reverse. Well, okay, okay. Yeah, that happens sometimes. Um, sure. Hasn't happened, happened to me in an accident, but sure. Yeah, so I slipped it in drive, and then I ran into the trolley collection uh, bay. And I sat there. I was like, oh, oh, that sucks. But in my mind, I'm thinking... Well, I mean, how fast are you going to do that from a standing start in a car park? You know, how? why were you 40 minutes late for that? So I kind of said that, but in a more polite way. I was like, oh, wow. So, so what happened? She said, well, I accelerated, ran into the trolley collection bay, and then when I tried to reverse out of it, I'd got my bumper hooked around the front of the trolley collection bay. So I got stuck. And I, I don't know what you're thinking as I share this story right now. But as I sat there, all that could go through my mind was, how, 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 how did you do that? Or I was, I was desperately trying to picture this in my mind. You've got to remember, I, 10 minutes earlier, I thought I was being stood up by this girl. I'd almost walked out. You know, I was kind of upset and flustered. Now I'm going the other way, like, is, is this girl okay? Like, like is, she, is she capable of making adult decisions? I'm just trying to work this out. How did you do this? And so I kept, <laughs> I kept asking. I kept asking. I was like, so sorry, I, I just don't quite understand. And of course, she just had a car accident. Like, regardless of how intelligent the accident itself was, she's had an accident. She's not very happy. She's a bit flustered. She's probably going to be out of pocket for a few dollars. And eventually, she, she kind of gets colder and colder with me. And you're going to be really stunned by this news. There was no second date. Because she was getting frustrated at me for being a jerk and continuing, continually asking about how it happened. And I just could not grapple how this girl had managed to get her car tangled around the trolley receiving bay. It was baffling. I still have no idea how that happened. 
But here's the thing. She turned up 40 minutes late, but she turned up, which means she was probably interested in me. It means that both of us are interested in each other enough to wait 40 minutes or go out of our way even after a car accident, yet still, still, we screw it up. We get things wrong. We misread people. We say the wrong things. We do the wrong things. We expect the wrong things. And we end up like me, stuck with a terrible Billy Baxter Caesar salad, the bill, and no second date. How do we get our relationships so wrong? Somehow, as a culture, we have got our relationships terribly, terribly wrong. Well, why do I say this? Well, for starters, we keep getting divorced. We keep getting divorced. Now, I just want to note here that at Encounter, we are a future-focused church. We are in no way interested in shaming you if you have been divorced or if you're a child of divorce or if that's impacted your life in any way. We are about your best future, not about shaming you for your past. We will talk about how to grow into your future, but we will never condemn you for your past. So if you're sitting here and that's been a part of your life, please do not feel in any way judged. We are not judging you. But what I do know is that I've married a few people and I'm yet to marry two people who stood before God and said their vows to one another and were kind of going, yeah, like this is good, but we'll see, hey, we'll just see. I reckon we could get divorced. No, everybody has the best intentions on their wedding day. Everyone wants to be married. Everyone wants a healthy and flourishing relationship, but things go wrong. But here's the second thing we do. We keep cohabiting. We keep living together before we get married. Even though statistics show that people are up to 40%, 40% more likely to divorce if they live together first. It's interesting because we think that the whole try before you buy idea builds compatibility, but it doesn't. It breeds contempt. But there's also the simple stuff, okay? There's the way we misread body language or we misread Facebook posts, Misread Twitter posts, emails, the fact that we get offended so easily at others, which means logically that we ourselves are also offending and upsetting people. We make cultural mistakes, we misunderstand the opposite sex, we treat our friends badly, we alienate our kids, our parents, our grandparents, and we say and do things to hurt others, even with the best intentions. What do we do about this? What's the real problem here? Well, pastor and author Mark Sayers would suggest that as we form our identity, basically we do it in one of two ways. Either we do it vertically, as Sayers would say, looking to God for our sense of purpose, affirmation and identity, building it on something eternal. That's how we build our identity. Or we do it horizontally, building it on humanity, on the affection and approval of those just as broken as ourselves. And if you're not quite picking up what I'm putting down here, just think of Instagram for a moment. Think of the way that you could put a photo out there and if you get a lot of likes, you feel really encouraged and loved and worthy and if you don't get many likes at all, you may feel your self-esteem dipping a bit. Now that's ridiculous, isn't it? It's ridiculous when we say it out loud, but we know it happens. Or even better yet, we don't put anything on Instagram, we just scroll through other people's Instagram and suddenly we're getting felt like we're not good enough because somebody else that seems to have some perfect life because of some photo they took on holiday nine months ago that they're posting with a throwback Thursday caption as if they don't know exactly what they're doing and they're just taking bathroom selfies right now. (laughs) You know, like we live our lives comparing our behind the scenes to someone else's highlight reels and feeling bad about it because we're living, like Sayer said, with horizontal mindsets. 
the approval and rejection of other people. When we place our faith in other people, I really want you to catch this. When we place our faith in other people to lift us up, we get let down. When we place our faith in other people to lift us up, we get let down. And that's not how we're meant to live. Our faith isn't meant to be put in other people. It's meant to be put in God. And I think our real problem with relationships is not that we have problems with other people so much as we have a problem with God. We have a problem with God. I think our major problem is that we're trying to build a relationship with God our way, and so we keep viewing God the wrong way. So I want to take you through a few different ways we get our relationship with God so wrong before we look at what I would say is the right way. So how do we get our relationship with God so wrong? Well, we get it wrong because we view God wrong. We view God wrong. Here's my first view that I think we have of God, and it's going to be up on the screen behind me. Here's my first one. I call it, the universe hasn't put enough money in my bank account. Or as I heard someone else refer to it recently, cosmic Siri. Cosmic Siri. This is a really old idea with a new profile picture. People have always worshipped things like trees, rocks and rivers, and now they worship the universe. I blame How I Met Your Mother for this picture of God. So if you're familiar with How I Met Your Mother or you're not, first three to four seasons are excellent. After that, you should just stop watching and save yourself the pain. But what they did was they kept using the universe as a character, right? The universe as some kind of bizarre cosmic cosmic force that exists purely to make your every wish come true. That's why I call it Cosmic Siri. You can just kind of speak to it and say, hey Siri, can you make this wish come true? Hey Siri, can you do this for me? Or why I call it the universe hasn't put enough money in my bank account. Because this is a God that's defined by desire, your desires. It's a God who exists on a conceptual level, but has no definable qualities except to say that God loves you and is responsible to make you happy every moment of every day. So in this example, it might be you might be saying in your prayer something like, God, I mean universe, I mean like Oprah Winfrey, I need that car park. Um, God, universe, Dalai Lama, Richard Gere, Buddha, I need the last ticket to that Kendrick Lamar concert or, or the realest one. God, universe, Kanye West, I, I just help me get together with that person I like. Can you hear how ridiculous that is when we pray these prayers? Just help me get together with that person. Like for starters, they might want to say in that, that other person. Like it's all very well to pray that. But if the other person is praying, God, God, I just see this other person. They seem to be flirting with me all the time and it's making me super uncomfortable. Could you please direct them not to do that? Your prayers are going to butt up against something else, okay? That's a problem. If you're here and you've said things like that before, maybe you're the sort of person that calls yourself spiritual but not religious. And I want to say that's awesome. I, I kind of see myself that same way in a lot of ways. But it's not the relationship God wants for you to think of the universe as some kind of cosmic genie that supports you. The good news is you're right. God does care about every little part of your life. Your prayers are important to him. And honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if sometimes he did just sort you out with a good car park as like a little cosmic fist bump just to remind you of his love. But I tell you, he's not doing it every day. He's not doing it every day. The bad news is God's not redesigning the universe constantly to fit around all of your desires. And if you think about it a little bit, you think about the idea that God would give you the perfect car park every time. Just think about this. That would not make you happy. It wouldn't make you happy. 
Because the perfection you would find in going, yeah, I get the best car park every time. For starters, the other people around you might start asking, why don't I ever get a good car park? Well, because I get them. Yeah, I get it. But why would God just give you the car parks? Or from another point of view, the way you look at all these cosmic car parks would make you look at the rest of your life and the rest of your life's imperfections and you might feel actually a bit negative about that because of it. God wants to bless you, but he's not a genie. He's not going to design the universe around your desires. Now, I just want to say as well, if you're a follower of Jesus here and you're nodding nodding a bit self-righteously right now, let me ask you a quick question. What kind of things do you talk about with God? What kind of things? Do you pray for the persecuted church? Do you pray for your non-Christian brothers and sisters, regardless of whether they're kind to you or not? Do you pray for your enemies? Do you pray for your Muslim brothers and sisters? Do you pray for the homeless? Do you ask God to help others? Do you pray the dangerous prayer of the Lord's Prayer that says, Your kingdom come, your will be done, not mine, yours, God, yours? Or do you mostly just ask him to help you get over your cold and pass your exams? Interesting, isn't it? Oh, it's gone real quiet in here. God is more than a cosmic genie. He does care about your life, but the plan he's got for you is actually much bigger than you getting a drone for Christmas, bro. I'm sorry. So let me give you our second bad picture of God. I call it, my dad only sees me on weekends and he's furious about it. I like that one. My dad only sees me on weekends and he's furious about it. I want you to think about this God as like a dad who maybe got divorced about 10 years ago and he never really got over it and he took all his frustrations out on his kids and he lives alone and he's got bad furniture but he's got a big TV, you know. And probably this dad never fulfilled his sporting dreams too and put them on his kids because, I don't know, maybe he was too short to make the NBA and now even though his kids are pursuing cricket instead of basketball, it's important that they can pursue cricket in glory and fulfil that. And if they put a bit of hard work in, they probably could fulfil it and they could even play for Australia one day. Not that it's about my dreams or I mean their dreams or whatever. That's just, you know, an example. Could be anyone. Whatever. (laughs) So my dad only sees me on weekends and he's furious about it. This is a God who exists but is too far removed to care about your needs. He only sees you on weekends, remember? And he's also constantly angry and has impossible expectations on you. And maybe you've engaged with Christianity before, and this is what you've felt about God as presented to you. Maybe it's been something to do with the Old Testament. Maybe it's just been something to do with the people you know. And if you've engaged with God like that, like an angry dad, there's really only two ways to respond to that. One, one way is to say, I believe all of this, but I can't do it. I'm actually broken under the weight of all this expectation and all these demands. I am broken. I can't do it. And the second way to do it is to say, I don't want to do it. I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. Angry cosmic dad, you only see me on weekends. I like my stepdad. He lets me stay up late, eat ice cream, doesn't care. Do you know what I mean? Like the only real ways we can deal with angry parenting is either through breaking and saying, I I can't handle this pressure or by rebelling and saying, I'm not going to have anything to do with you. That's the classic response to this kind of picture. But the problem is this is not a correct picture of God. You see, this God is defined by distance. And maybe this is how you see God. And you think if God exists, especially if he's anything like some of the Christians you know, then he seems full of hate. And I'm so sorry if you're here and you've experienced this. 
And there is some truth to this picture, like there was some truth in the last one, because God does set high standards for our lives. And there are things that I believe make God angry, but God is not defined by anger. God is defined by love. Let me get to the third picture and the one with the most glaring and difficult problem. And I call this picture, this wrong picture, the God I love. The God I love. And this is how this wrong picture looks. This God exists and love us, loves us and we love that God back. This God exists and loves us and we love them back. And a lot of you are sitting here right now thinking, isn't, isn't that the God of the Bible? That sounds a lot like the God of the Bible. It does sound a lot like the God of the Bible. Quite a lot. And the problem for many Christians I know is that this third wrong idea really defines their identity and distorts how they view their relationship with God. Because there's a constant nagging question here. This God is defined by devotion, but it's defined by our devotion. It means that if we don't feel loving toward God, then we question his love for us. See, there's no way to go through hard times with this God. This is a God that is built on our love for that God. Because when we go through hard times, you know what we do? We feel exhausted. We feel sick. We feel broken. These are all really natural things. But when God is based on our love for him, then that God feels distant because we feel distant. We feel broken. We feel hurt. We feel shaky. And we think things like, if God really loved me, oh, I thought it was built on your love for God. But we start saying things like, if God really loved me. And the point is that God does really love you. And we've got this backwards. We can't go through hard times with this God because when something goes wrong, our love for God begins to feel shaky. And we start to question God's love for us. And that thing is, guys, that God does love us. Friends, He loves you so much. He is longing to pour out His goodness and mercy and joy on you, but He doesn't want you to build your relationship with Him and your love for Him because your love for Him is breakable. It messes up. It gets things wrong. This is why we're talking about relationships in the first place. When we try and deal with our love for God, we mess up. We need to build our lives on God's eternal love for us. We've been getting it backwards, Christians. And if you heard nothing else here tonight and you're a believer in Jesus, I pray you hear that. Don't build your life on your love for God. Build your life on God's love for you. Because when we get it right, and this goes back to John 1 that Luke read so beautifully earlier. It's about the God who loves us. Let me just read quickly again through John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So we see that the Word, Jesus, is eternal. All things were created through Him. And apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. So we see in this already that Jesus is eternal. Jesus is a creator. Jesus is almighty. And yet this Jesus seems a little bit distant. But let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was created through him. 
and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. He came, he came, and yet he wasn't received. You see, the thing is, if God had come as a cosmic genie, right, as that cosmic Siri, as the universe didn't put enough money in my bank account this week, that cosmic genie would have been worshipped for as long as it was convenient and then carefully placed back in its lamp and put back on the shelf and you'd get on with the rest of your life. And if an angry, distant dad had come down, well, they would have been obeyed, all right. They would have been obeyed through fear, but never loved. And really, they wouldn't have come down at all because the angry, distant dad only cares about us on weekends. You can't really see him. That's not the God we worship. And a God we all truly loved? Well, I don't see how that God could have been rejected and sent to the cross. You don't do that with people you love. You do that with people you hate but a God who loved us, a God who has no identity crisis and loves us with an extraordinary passion, that God doesn't play by our rules. That God doesn't respect our definitions of our love. That God doesn't stay distant, but doesn't grant our every wish. And thank God he doesn't because we don't know what we want. I pined after so many girls when I was younger. And if I'd got what I wanted, I'd have a string of terrible relationships and have proven myself a terrible boyfriend. And I might not have met Jen. The only thing, let me, hear, let me tell you this, guys. The only thing I really did right in relationships in that period of my life was just after this terrible lunch date at Billy Baxter's, I gave my entire romantic life over to God. I decided that if I was going to follow Jesus properly, I had to give everything to good, everything to God, not just the good parts, not just the convenient parts, everything, everything. God doesn't just want you on weekends. He doesn't want to be put back in the lamp and he doesn't want to rely on your love for him. He wants every part of your life because he's worth it, because he loves you so deeply, so extraordinarily. And I remember thinking at the time, God, I'm 22. And if your will is that I'm single for the rest of my life, so be it. And I know that sounds ridiculous in a world where people generally get married 28, 29, 30 later. But some of you are in this room and you're feeling that sense of loneliness right now. You're 21, 22, 23, and you're worried about whether you're going to find Mr. Right and whether you're going to be single the rest of your life. You need to stop worrying about finding Mr. Right and start trusting in the love of your heavenly Father who loves you and knows what you need. And some of you even right now are questioning that. And I get that. You're asking, how do we even know God loves us this much? That's a great picture of God that you painted, Mike. How do we know it's true? I'm really glad you asked that. Let me go back to John just for a moment. Verse 12. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. God's great yes to us. And all we need to do is say yes back. And listen to this, verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We know God's incredible love for us because God, who could have stayed distant, as we heard in verse 1, was with God in the beginning, was the creator himself, was part of that creative process of the entire universe, of the big bang, of every single thing, loved us so deeply that he came near 
to us. He's the God who loved us first, the God who willingly went to his death on a cross, knowing that it would achieve and assure your salvation now and forever. That's how we know the love of God. That's how you can trust on God's love for you. Don't worry about your love for God. Just start reaching out. Reach out for the God who loved you first. You can rely on that encounter, church. Everybody right here, right now, you can rely on that. God is longing to talk to you. God is longing to reach you in Jesus' name. We get our relationship with God wrong because we view God's relationship with us wrong. He's not a cosmic genie. He's not a distant, angry dad. He's not defined by our love for us. He's the God who willingly went to his death on a cross, knowing that it would achieve your salvation. You need to define all your relationships, friends. Not on any of your love. Not on anyone else's love but on God's love for you, on God's love for you. You can build your life on that. You can trust him with that. And every one of your relationships will be richer and stronger when you do that. Let me pray. God, I just want to thank you that there are people here with hands raised, desperate, desperate for a touch of your Holy Spirit, for an encounter with Jesus tonight. Lord, would you fill them with your Holy Spirit? I want to pray for everyone that's wrestling with relationships, struggles, whether they've had good relationships or bad ones, and are asking for a touch of heaven tonight. Would you bless them with that? And would you help them tonight, God, to surrender everything to you? To say, whether I am single the rest of my life, whether this relationship right now gets better or not, I surrender everything to you. I am yours forever and ever and I rest in that truth and I rest in your love for me expressed in the incarnation when you came to earth thank you Jesus amen